0: Hey, it's Greg Brady. It's great to have you listening to Toronto today. Thank you for finding us and taking the time out of your busy day or evening. Interesting show. We had Rick Westhead from TSN on who broke this Kyle Beach, Chicago Blackhawks abuse story wide open. We'll get the very latest from him on it, his perspective on how the story resonated around the hockey world. He and I will have a very honest chat about that, given both of our experience with it. Independent MPP Belinda Carahelios will join us as well. She was kicked out of the Ontario legislature on Tuesday. Why that happened, what her response is, and where she feels, I guess, COVID is going in terms of government intervention going forward, whether it's the good, the bad, the ugly. She gives us her perspective on this. It's an interesting conversation. That and much, much more. Toronto Today begins now. This show is for the audience. It's for you. We talked yesterday on the show about the need for, I think, journalism and broadcasting to be about that. Yeah, I got a boss and that person's got a boss and that person's got a boss. You do have to perform. There are people and requirements and obligations to serve, but our primary obligation, and I think every boss I have and their bosses, bosses, bosses would say, serve the people, serve the people, give them information. You don't have to, it it doesn't have to be all puffy and light. It doesn't have to be all dour and dark. Find the medial, find the middle ground find a happy medium and these aren't very happy times when we're talking about covid so the bottom line is this about uh the south african study and i want you to hear this from dr scott gottlieb right now uh from cnbc he's got a best-selling book out remember he is on the pfizer board but he acknowledges that there's uh you know there would be a conflict if he were to start talking about which vaccine is best but he's done remarkable work. I've gone through various different levels of trust with some of these doctors that we put on the show. Some I like to keep having on some have, you know, some have, I think lost perspective on this. Maybe they think I've lost perspective, but it's been a moving, all of this has been a moving target. Who could argue that here's what Dr. Gottlieb says about the most recent study that's right on the ground in South Africa and we're as we're trying 12 days out from the world global discovery of omicron here's where we go on this front and here's what Dr. Gottlieb said on CNBC earlier this morning.
1: What they show which is actually quite reassuring is that people who got infected and then vaccinated had pretty robust protection um, in in these studies. there was pretty good neutralization. Of the plasma of individuals who were infected and then subsequently vaccinated and why that's encouraging is that we believe that three doses of the vaccine so a properly boosted vaccine effectively simulates the response you get from infection and then subsequent vaccination with two doses so the Mm -hmm. third dose of the vaccine um, functions like getting infected so this is a, an indication that a properly boosted vaccine may may retain meaningful protection against this virus
0: okay so that's good that's better news than you may have expected i like hearing that i don't think there's much we can do about omicron being here i don't think there's much we can do about its transmissibility all we can do is encourage people to get vaccinated that said, here's two things that I take away from that. One, we do have to open up boosters. We gotta, we gotta circle back. D- Dr. David Fisman, who ha- I've, I've, you know, you all know who he is, has been on this show many, many times. I don't know if I was the first host to have him on, but I enjoyed the conversations with him back in the spring when all this was circling around us. And uh, I know I know he takes criticism. We all do when we have opinions about what we should do or shouldn't do. But he says we need to open up for 18 plus for boosters. He's right about that. This arbitrary number of 50 will not work. Nasi needs to come to the table today and open up third doses for age 18 plus because a healthy, a healthy 42 year old. OK, who's at the gym every day, who's doing this, who's doing that, who's playing, you know, I don't know, beer league hockey and, and runs 10K is in a lot better place than a 280 pound 26 year old who smokes uh, a pack of demories every day. He just is. You know that and I know that. So age just ends up being a number. We got to protect everybody on this front. The second thing is, and I may be shouting into a tunnel on this one, a tunnel is the idea that we have to finally recognize acquired immunity here. You just heard Dr. Gottlieb say it. The best potential protection against Omicron is having had COVID already recovered and having two doses. You don't need a booster if you've had uh, the, the COVID already. And we don't talk about this, Okay. So I'm going to put the doctors on. I'm going to put the specialists on who talk about this in a practical manner and a practical method. Okay. It's the best I can do. I sleep really well at night. It's only for about four and a half hours at a time, but I sleep really well at night knowing you're not getting bad information, knowing you're not getting public health talking points, knowing you're not getting bad information. That's all I can do. That's all I can do. And, I'm, and again, the last thing I'm ever going to do is sit here in front of a microphone and try and scare you. I know there's people that have perspectives about the quote-unquote media on this. I know that that some of you think that the media just loves the concept of this continuing and continuing continuing. I'm not going to tell you there aren't those that, that don't. There's teachers, that there's profe- university professors that want to keep teaching at home. There's business owners that really, uh, that, that, that absolutely are horrified by that concept. They want to be open again. We just talked about New York City. Do you think a restaurant owner in the in the theater district in manhattan wants to check a six-year-old's vaccination status what are we doing and that brings me to the head of the ontario science table dr peter uni hesitated whether i wanted to play this clip or not i really did um I, i get the concept but you know my friend bruce arthur says this all the time no matter what we agree and disagree on he says you can't get tired of the virus because the virus isn't tired of you And while I agree that we need to keep risk mitigating, doing the things, some of the things that we're doing, mental health is a big thing. So it does matter. This messaging from Dr. Uni is horrific. It is horrific. And it should not and cannot be amplified. Ironically, I said yesterday, would I air uh, this news conference with Dr. Uni and the science table on this show if I had any say about it? And I don't know if I do or not. No, I would not. It is remarkably dangerous. Here's the clip, but I'm playing it to let you know what to to look for when it comes to something that is dangerous. Here he is on CBC uh, yesterday with Heather Hiscox when asked about holiday parties for people. This is Dr. Peter Uny, the head of the Ontario Science Table.
2: Oh, we cancel our holiday travels. You know, we intended to go to New York
0: State. Forget it. We cancel that ourselves. And um, if you plan large
3: gatherings um, with, uh, with with your families, do them in summer, please.
0: Not now. It's not the time to do those. You know, do it small, elegant, safe, few people. Don't go to restaurants that are too crowded. It's, it's, again, it's just, you know, use your common sense. It's the same story as before. We now need to decrease our contacts a bit. We need to uh, interrupt chains of transmission. I can't tell you how dangerous that messaging is. I can't tell you how upsetting it is uh, to hear that nonsense. We've lost our, we're outside of our brains when we think that's good messaging. That that's the way to approach things. I don't know what to tell you beyond that. I'm absolutely apoplectic about this. That this is okay. That that nonsense gets pushed out there. And there's two ways to look at this. There really are. Understand what I'm saying here. There is a, there's a concern about Omicron. Absolutely. But we don't know right now if, if it's more dangerous and more severe to fully vaccinated people. Or fully vaccinated boosted people. If you think I'm canceling Christmas plans, if you think my house on New—it's—we're not doing it Christmas, but New Year's Eve isn't going to have. Let me do the counting: eight adults and six kids in there, fourteen people, and the kids will sleep over at our house. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. If you think I'm canceling plans, and if you think I'm going to listen to this person, tell me that that's the case. And by the way, if you got the clock weights, get up there, Peter. Okay, and and cancel the Grey Cup. Say that the Grey Cup shouldn't happen on Sunday. Bunch of screaming football fans in Hamilton. You need to say that movie theaters should be closed. You need to say that restaurants should be closed. You need to come out and say these things. But you aren't taking the emotion and the camaraderie and the positive mental health away from all of us. And I want you to think about this. Three questions about the science table, and then I'm going to take a call. I want you to ask yourself these questions about peter uni and the science table ask yourself these questions is the science table politicized is it politically influenced is it a political entity or an independent entity free of politics well it's politicized and it's politically influenced and it's not free of politics so no it's not it's not politics free so there's politics involved in the message right way we got a conflict has the science table been wrong or right more often in the last six months? Well, the answer is wrong. Thankfully so. Thankfully so. I take you back to September. Ontario's facing a substantial fourth wave of the COVID-19 pandemic and can see daily ca- ca- case counts reaching 9,000 by October in a worst-case scenario, <sighs> according to new modeling prepared by the Ontario science advisory table. I, you know, it would hurt to be that wrong about something that was so important like you'd get a bit embittered about that you'd want to be right the next time around because then then you prove you're bringing the goods You, you don't want to be that wrong about something i wonder what that does to a person and thirdly this is the third question so is it politicized yes heavily have they been wrong way more than right in the last six months also yes there's not a news conference to explain why or when they were wrong that never happens this is like me picking football games on Friday, uh, costing you a lot of money because you wagered a certain way, and then me not showing up on Monday, and I just come back with more picks on Friday. <laughs> Where's the level of accountability? Is there? And this is a hell of a lot more important than that. Wouldn't you say? You're telling people, don't meet with your family until the summer. Fully vaccinated, boosted people. Don't meet until the summer? He said that. Is there any compass? My third question, is there any compass that regulates mental health? and perspective, and humanity, and emotion, any compass that comes from that messaging whatsoever, any consideration of that, no. So it's politicized, they've been wrong way more than right, and the messaging lacks humanity. So would you air it live on your radio show? I think you have that answer. Uh, Our next guest uh, will join us. Uh, She's an independent MPP from Cambridge. Cambridge is amazing. I have a lot of good things to say about Cambridge. She is Belinda Karahalios. It's great to have you on our show. Thank you for making the time. Greg, thank
3: you so much for having me. How are
0: you? I'm good. I had a college roommate in Cambridge, so I have I've had a lot of fun in Cambridge. It can be done. I like Cambridge a lot.
3: <laughs> it's a fantastic city. You should come on down again.
0: I'm happy. I'm, I'm I'm happy to accept that invitation. Now, um, why did now we we reached out to you and and we weren't sure. I guess if you'd asked me to wager on whether you'd accept our invitation to come on the show, we might have said no. Why did, Why did you want to come on?
3: Oh well, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak my side of the story, especially since. Uh, Seeing some of the media making assumptions, saying, "Oh, you know, uh, she's not vaccinated, and she was kicked out because she wasn't vaccinated." And uh, I would love the opportunity to clear that up.
0: So, what's the most untrue thing that you've heard that you want to clear up first?
3: Well, number one, it's it's what the speaker said directly. So, um, yesterday at the Ontario Legislature, when he asked me to leave, um, he said that it was the minister, the, sorry, the chief medical officer of health. Uh, basically saying that I shouldn't be able to attend for 90 days. The thing with that is it's not true. So when I I was I tested positive for COVID-19 on the 19th of November, mm-hmm. um, public health told me to quarantine. I did. I got a letter from them in writing, obviously through email, and they said that I'm not required to provide a negative test uh, in order to return to work. Now, the speaker had implemented rules saying that in order to work at the legislature, you need to either show proof of full vaccination against COVID-19 or a negative rapid antigen test. I have chosen not to disclose my vaccine status, so have gone the route of testing twice a week in order to do my job. Um, so when I spoke to the public health, health, health nurse, she said the reason why they don't want testing done is because there is a risk of a false positive and they don't want that because it can skew the numbers and it creates, you know, like never ending individual being put in quarantine potentially So I let the speaker know uh, that I was cleared to come back to work, and he said that uh, if I can't give a negative test, uh, I can't come back. Well, I was able to brought a negative test. I tested on Monday night. It came back negative, so I went to the legislature.
0: So you think think the rules are, they're portraying the rules as being um, inaccurate, and, and you disagree with the rules in principle also. It's both things.
3: Well, yes. I mean, like public health, we've been abiding by public health rules for the last 20 months. They've been guiding everything we've done. I followed the rules by public health. I'm not sure why he thinks that, um, you know, I'm a threat to the legislature for the next 90 days. It, I tested. I didn't go in without testing. I tested. It came back negative. I've recovered from COVID-19. There's no reason why I can't go into the entire legislature and do my job.
0: Were you sick during COVID when you had it?
3: you know what i was very fortunate um not not really like i I lost my Mm -hmm. sense of smell my sense of taste i had a backache but it wasn't i was very fortunate I, i was very very fortunate
0: belinda carajalio says our guest by the way on toronto today with greg brady on global news radio 640 toronto if one of your constituents said should i get vaccinated do you have advice what advice do you give do you comment on that
3: i do you know what you've got to do what's right for you uh, and for your family and your personal situation, I never discourage people from from making decisions like that. It, it just, it's, I, you know, I, I understand why you're asking me that question, um, but I've I've always told people, you've got to make the decision that is-
0: So your vaccine status, have you told your, have you told, talk to, me- you don't have to tell me, and you probably won't. Have you talked to medical professionals about your vaccine status? Have you had to disclose it to anybody in a private circumstance?
3: Uh, no, I mean, well, I told public health when when I first got my uh, my test back uh, that it was positive, but I haven't told the speaker of the house. I haven't told the nurse there. I haven't told the like no one's aware of my status. So for him to stand up and say uh, an unvaccinated MPP is not accurate because he doesn't actually know my status. He
0: he doesn't, but he but he needed to know. and, And so you provided the negative. Had you provided the negative test in days previous or was yesterday the first day that you were able to provide it?
3: Uh, yesterday was the first day I was able to provide it. So I hadn't tested prior to that, so my my quarantine had ended on the you know midnight on the on the thirtieth so but I hadn't gone back until yesterday. I had a question scheduled for yesterday, which is why I went in.
0: What has been the reaction and i i, I you know play this as much up the I, politics is politics sometimes and i understand you're a politician what has been the reaction um to you becoming an independent mpp from your constituents I, i'm sure there are people like anything there's people that have supported you there's people that have questioned um you know that voted for you as a member of the ontario pc party it was quite a wave that swept through with the majority government so what's been the general reaction
3: you know, I was kicked out last July, so July 2020, from the PC party, and it's interesting because it's it's been it's been a mixed bag, and it's actually changed as time has gone on. So there were some individuals who who very much were like, "Well, I voted PC, and you know, this, you know, I wanted someone who's PC," mm-hmm. um, and a lot of those individuals have turned come around and said, "Well, now I get why you voted against Bill 195. You know, the PC party, all the promises they made to us, they've essentially broken many of them." Uh, And then I have a lot of individuals who who hadn't voted PC who are very happy with the fact that I stood up and I defended, uh, you know, I spoke for the constituents of Cambridge when it cost me my role as a parliamentary assistant and my place in the PC caucus.
0: Do you want to run again next year?
3: Yes, I will be running again in Cambridge next year under the new blue party of Ontario banner.
0: Is that problematic? People have asked lots of questions about that. Like, for example, I would tell you, I, I'm, I'm happy to interview you and I, I'm enjoying your, you know, honesty and, and your frankness. I wouldn't put Randy Hillier on this show. I would not do that. Um, I, but I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. What's your mm-hmm. distinction? If people say, are you like Randy Hillier? What do you say to that?
3: Uh, I think it's very clear that I'm not like Randy Hillier. Um, you know, I take my job. Um, I'm not saying he doesn't take his job seriously. I take my job very seriously. I'm at the legislature whenever I can be there to debate, to vote. Uh, I'm not just COVID-focused. I'm looking at mm-hmm. everything that the government is tabling. I'm reading the legislation. And, of course, I'm here in my constituency. Um, you know, I enjoy being an MPP. I'm very, I realize I'm very fortunate and, and I'm honored to do this role. And all I want to do is is represent my community that is all i want to do and and, you know ensure that their voice is at the table
0: if you could speak to um the liberals and ndp i look and i think this is what i'm hearing on the street so you tell me if you're hearing this on on your streets and in your jurisdiction what i'm hearing from people is saying where's where's the advocacy for my kids i'm talking a lot about that with with kids people and i'm i'm thrilled listen I'm thrilled that people are gaining more confidence and they're vaccinating their kids if that's what they so choose to do. I would vaccinate my kids. We don't have to agree on that. But what I would argue principle-wise is people are saying, this is great. I'll get my life back. Well, I have two fully vaccinated teens and they've been fully vaccinated for six months and they've only got a small portion of their life back. That's what I hear from people who are going to vote for you, against you, for any of the parties next June. That's what I hear the most of.
3: Yeah, People are very frustrated, Greg. Like, it's been constant flip-flopping um it's the constant moving of the goalpost a lot of people like you said are getting vaccinated because they just want life to get back to normal and that hasn't happened you know we were told it was i think it was 80 uh, percent then 85 percent fully vaccinated now it's 90 now they're saying well we're not really sure how much we need so it's it's very frustrating
0: has your own perspective? So your your vaccination status is a private matter. Has it changed? Did you change your mind privately about about whether you would or would not? How much we've all gleaned new information, we've all seen things and say, "No, I stick with this. I'm consistent on this." I look back and I go, "No, maybe this was wrong." I'm wondering if we should have put kids back in school uh, in front of vaccine. and we should have put have more of a push to vaccinate teachers if that created confidence within the province. So I think we all would adapt some things differently. Has your opinion about vaccination evolved since they've been available?
3: So, again, I think that, you know, vaccination is, is a very personal choice. Uh, and I have no judgment on people who choose not to or people who choose to. And, I, and that's one of the reasons why I haven't disclosed it, because it's become such a divisive um, topic of conversation. And people are making judgment calls on you as an individual based on a choice that you made for yourself and for your life. Um, But, again, it it goes back to doing what is going to work and and really looking at the science. You know, there are individuals who absolutely should get the vaccine. But, you know, we also need to look at some of there's a treatment available in Ontario that the government is just not talking about, the monoclonal antibody therapy that's available at St. Joseph's Hospital in Hamilton. And that helps people um, to prevent them from going into severe disease, which is what we don't want. We want to keep them out of the hospitals. So there's so much going on, and it's been changing consistently over the last 20 months, and it's making it challenging for everybody, for parents, for for teachers, for for everyone.
0: I think what I've spotted, uh, and I think uh, a common ground that we could agree on is, I think the end of the pandemic, Belinda, comes. I think that has to be a political decision. We're not going to get it from the epidemiologists. Like that's not even. I don't think that's debatable. Now, I heard people say, well, the pandemic's done when the media decide it's done, or when the politicians decide it's done. There's more. I I dismissed that six months ago, Belinda. I'm not dismissing it as much now. I think we have to decide when we're done with certain things while still complying and not breaking laws randomly. But we have to decide what laws we can abide by and what we can and put we're seeing this in New York City. Where I think it's an abominable decision to to force vaccination proof for five and six year olds. Well, yeah. You got you got people coming from foreign countries who can't even vaccinate their kids, even if they wanted to. And you're gonna yeah. you're gonna separate families based on that. I do not agree
1: with that.
3: I, I I am with you on that, Greg, really and truly. I've been very open about my stance. I don't like I don't agree with the vaccine mandates. Period. Um, especially you know the vaccines again they're reducing severity, but we know that people who are vaccinated can still transmit the virus not as often not as frequently yeah but they can still get it so i don't i don't agree with with the mandates. i don't i don't like that there are individuals who are losing their jobs uh you know students are being kept out of school uh and, and i get that i hear these stories more often because of the stance i've taken but i i hear a lot and it's it's horrible to hear when you got you know grown adults going into the pharmacy in tears getting a vaccine that they they didn't want to get for whatever reason right but it they're feeling very pressured. And uh, I, I don't like that. I, I don't think that's right at do, all.
0: Do you bristle if someone calls you an anti-vaxxer? How do you respond when they do that?
3: Oh, not really. You know, it, you, you can call me whatever names you like. Um, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't oh. save me. I mean, I, I don't even know what that term means anymore. I have received all of all of my vaccines. I don't know what would make me an hmm. anti-vaxxer. And I've never told people not to get vaccinated. I'm like, you know, you do what you got to do.
0: Do you think there are more people like you in the conservative caucus, maybe even in the liberal and NDP party, and they don't like what they're seeing, but they won't speak up? Do you hear from people privately that tell you that?
3: Yes, 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 yes. Uh, And they do not speak up for whatever reason. A lot of times it's just, you know, being part of the major parties, you don't want to uh, do anything offside for fear that the leader will then say, hey, guess what? You're not running in the next election. So there is that that fear. Um, you pre- they want to mm. protect themselves in some cases, and, and I guess that's what made me a little bit of an, an anomaly, because, you know, when 195, the Reopening Ontario Act, was tabled in July of 2020, that bill came out of the ministry that I was the parliamentary assistant for, so it was double risk for me to actually say, hang on, um, I don't agree with this bill. That's the bill that allows the government to implement rules without having any debate or any vote, and I'm saying, well, we live in a democracy. We should be able to um, you know, flush out these ideas mm. and, and debate them as legislators, regardless of what party you're a part of. Um, so, you mm. know, it was a little risky for me to do so. And yes, I, I got kicked out of the party, but it was well worth it.
0: Belinda, thank you very much for the time today. Thanks for being, uh, uh, you know, uh, and it, accommodating with your time and, and knowing uh, that we'd have a fair conversation. I agree. We got we to yell less on all sides, but I appreciate you coming on.
3: Thanks, Greg. Thank you so much.
0: Um, Some of that South African data is really interesting. Some of it is indicating that something may go our way, not in terms of transmissibility, but certainly severity. And we'll get there with our next guest. We always enjoy our conversations with Sabina Vora Miller, pharmacologist. It's great to have you on, as always. Thanks for making the time for our audience.
4: Good morning, and I'm so happy to be back.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I'm not the the most prominent person you're speaking to. I don't know if I'm the least. That would be really something if I was the least... (laughs) he's the last person i want to hear from but you had a little chit chat with uh prime minister justin trudeau now what did what did you learn and and what did he learn from your conversation that was really something that's a big get it
4: was it was fantastic and you know when i wanted to um, put this together i really wanted to hear children i wanted to Mm -hmm. hear their questions because children have agency they know what's going on they have their own questions Um, And I think uh, having that opportunity to bring together not just parents who obviously have questions on vaccines, but children in, was just incredible. And some of the questions that the kids asked were just so on point. They were fantastic. Um, And I also think that bringing that information down to a, a level that's accessible to everyone, including children, is so important. And I think that discussion really highlighted the importance of that. Um, it was it was just in my opinion really really making science accessible to everyone, which I am just so passionate about.
0: The it, it's amazing. I watched a good chunk of it, and and you're right. Um, kids think of questions that uh, that people like you and me, uh, you know, might dismiss, and then when I even get asked a question by my kids, I'm like, that's so insightful. There's no filter, right? There's no editing. They just say things, and sometimes they're not the right things, but but they're a lot more pointed when they want to know something.
4: Exactly that. And the questions that they think of, in fact, is on everyone's mind, right? We just don't ask it. So you know, I love to see that refreshing honesty. And just just to see how incredibly resilient our children are, it was it was really for me one of the most beautiful things that was I got to do this past year. um and i just i love I love that we included children into this. Well, I'm glad
0: you did too. and it's a, it's a weird one, too, because you mentioned the resiliency word and and i I agree. Um, Well, I wouldn't even say to some extent. I agree. I I look at this report yesterday, even from the U.S. Surgeon General, and I'm thinking probably what you're thinking, Sabina, with with littler ones than I have. We got to do right by these kids. We got to do right by these kids and and make... Big time decisions in the weeks and months to come because we're looking at things that aren't you know speculative or or rumored. These are happening right in front of us right now. Right, a mental health crisis, devastating mental health effects because of this particular um, you know p- pandemic. And you've documented it before. I've said it. This has been far from an unequal pandemic. Kids can't choose parents, living circumstances. Uh, you know uh, what their what their families do for work if if their families work at all. So it's been a very in equal um pandemic for kids period
4: it absolutely has and you know now that we're seeing cases skyrocketing in schools i am just afraid that we're going our first response is going to be to shut down schools which i think kids have already paid a huge price for the last two years Instead, you know we need to have the government doing more to protect our children so they can stay in school for all the reasons that you've outlined like we we just have not done right
5: by the kids
0: I don't think... Now, I'd ask you this. I don't know... There's two things I, I look at here, and we know some of COVID response, um, because you and I don't uh, don't have that affiliation. We can say that there's been an aspect, I think, to some extent to public health, many doctors come on and say it. There's an aspect that's political. There's an aspect that, that is of course, course practical as well. I don't feel like there's, an, there's not an appetite for parents, for schools to close. There's not, I don't think, political capital to be gained. I... I can't see a scenario where they do. I mean, do you see that
4: I mean I've been hearing little snippets of it coming from people, and I just want to squash it the second it comes forward. yeah, and I understand what they're where they're coming at the, the rates right now, the cases are the highest in elementary school in terms of outbreaks in terms of cases per one hundred thousand. The under ten is the highest. Um, Very rapidly increasing category and second to that is the 10 to 19 group. These are also the kids who are just going to get vaccinated, so they're under vaccinated. So understandably, there is a lot of cases in this um, age population, but again, you know, we have not done enough to keep them safe and protected. If there's anything we need to be doing, that's what we need to do. We have so many rapid tests that are just rapid antigen tests that are simply sitting, getting wasted, getting expired. Why are we not using them? Use them weekly on children. Make sure that the cohort sizes are small. Improve ventilation in school. All, all of these things are tools in our arsenal that we simply haven't employed for children, but we have absolutely everyone
0: else well I'll, I'll lay this out for you and, and i agree with everything you said and uh and and so monday last week my uh grade 10 in still quad masters gets note of a positive case in one of his classes so he's coming home he's fully vaccinated he's asymptomatic we take him because we want to be sure to get a test on wednesday he's cool he we got that result back uh, at a drive through clinic a day later but Sabina, he can't come back until yesterday. That's what we got to fix. That's and, and again, we have a household where we can manage that. We have a household where, um, you know, I can be home earlier in the day because of this shift. My wife's working at home, but not everybody's like that. What about a single parent? What about somebody who's working a 10-hour day? So we got benefits that parents of a six-year-old, if both parents are working, don't have. That said... This is that's wrong, and that and that makes people. I don't lose trust very easily, and so I I, I just look at parents going. Y, you, you promised me life would be different when I got my kids vaccinated. I did the right thing, but that didn't change, and we're still operating with last year's rules. That's not right.
4: I I completely understand the frustration, and I think that also you know going back to what you're talking about, paid sick leave for parents mm-hmm. with COVID. We don't have that here. We don't, and we didn't even have it before COVID. I mean, this is again something that. Um, once again, parents are being penalized for right, and again, we need to be changing these. We need we need paid sick leave, even if even without COVID in, in the in the conversation, parents should be able to take time off to keep their kids home if the kids are sick. Indeed, sick, not you know this waiting, even though you're fully vaccinated. I mean, I, I don't personally agree with that, given that if a child is fully vaccinated, um, I think the rules will be different. I think at this point, I'm not sure what is going on with the province. And I think they're just, mm. once again, making the kids pay for um, the situation that the adults are not looking after properly, but
0: the, the, the yeah, yeah, I know yeah, exactly. I'm out of breath too, thinking about it all the, uh, you know, I, I see Dr. David Fisman today um, say this, I see Bruce Arthur, Bruce Arthur say this, he'll be on the show tomorrow. And again, I think positive and, uh, and enlightening and educated debate about what we should or shouldn't do is fair game. Where I agree with all of them is we got open boosters up to everybody 18 plus now. You're seeing the data that I'm seeing digging deep and uh, clearly on the ground in South Africa. They're noting that either aqu- acquired immunity plus two doses is it, or three doses is what's going to get you through uh, o- o- Omicron with no almost no likelihood of a severe outcome whatsoever so i i you know the fact that we've got a 51 year old who's completely healthy gets access to it a 46 year old who may have multiple comorbidities and health problems doesn't right now that's not right we got to open this up to all adults
4: we are and i think we will be seeing that happening in january we need to pull it up i think the issue right now is on capacity and we so we need to bring back the mass vaccination clinic so we can get this done really quickly but as you said absolutely what we're seeing is that, you know, people who only had two doses of the vaccine are mm. seeing a 25 to 40 fold decrease in their neutralizing antibodies. Now, remember that this happens anyways, right? As time goes from your last dose, you will see decrease in neutralizing antibodies anyways. But what's important is that even with two doses, you still have t cell. Protection, yeah. which means that you're still protected against severe illness. So I don't want people, you know, to. I want people to breathe. I think today's news, especially from Pfizer, is great. It's fantastic. So you know, breathe because we're still seeing good protection from um, with, even with two doses. But we absolutely need to get third doses and in. In mm-hmm. my opinion, the more I look at the data, the more I feel this is a three dose primary series for everyone. Um, And so I think that this is going to change um, over the next few months. I think capacity is going to be a huge issue, both in administering vaccines, but also with our healthcare capacity. So if you're not administering the vaccines fast enough, we're going to see a surge in hospitalizations over the winter um, and we don't have that capacity either. So it really is going yeah. to be you know, um, a very, very fine line to be towing.
0: Yeah, and we've done a real impressive job. To be honest, we've done a very impressive job with Delta. We've been highly vaccinated. We've risk mitigated well. We really did keep it in check here in Ontario um, regardless of what some forecasts were. i got to move on. Let's talk about the holidays next week. Let's let's lay that out, what people should the do's and don'ts of holidays and whatnot we can do that next wednesday thank you for coming on today
4: it's my pleasure thanks for having me
0: uh dr michelle cohen uh joins us on the show now a couple issues i want to get to with you and and by the way thank you for making the time for me i can only imagine uh how swamped you are as a gp this time of year as we've gone more inside and you're seeing more people and patients
5: Oh yeah, definitely. Always a busy time of year.
0: Um, this uh, this doctor that was—I know you commented on it yesterday—and it was a big reason we wanted to have you on. Besides, you know, uh, being uh, impressed by your advocacy, is this doctor was suspended for bad information. And uh, and we've struggled, haven't we, with um, keeping things on the on the straight and narrow with information. sometime. there was an Ontario doctor. Who, uh, who who's fine, and you've been advocating that he be suspended for a long, long time, a Dr. Phillips. Will you tell our audience when you discovered how much bad stuff was happening here before Twitter acted?
5: Um, well, so I've been watching his account for a little while, it's only been, he'd only been on Twitter for about a year and a half or so, but he, his platform grew enormously, he was at the end growing by about 200 followers a day, and so I was noticing through Hanukkah that he was persistently posting Holocaust memes, basically anti-vax Holocaust memes, on pretty much a daily basis. Um, and not only is that obviously offensive, particularly during a Jewish holiday, mm-hmm. uh, but Twitter has an explicit policy against Holocaust denial. So that was the point at which, you know, on seeing how his account was growing, um, it was obvious to me that it, he needed to be suspended. He needed to just be deplatformed off of, of Twitter to remove that, that hateful misinformation.
0: I think you make the point that's very valid, and we try and teach our kids this a lot more probably than when you and I were in school See something, say something. There's not going to be, you know, there's not going to be a lot of judgment uh, if you actually point out something so harmful, so dangerous. And again, the fair and free debate about should this restriction happen? Should this happen? That's, That's all fair game. What he was doing clearly was not, and it was patently offensive and wrong.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, uh, you know, the misinformation or disinformation um, that he'd been promoting about vaccine safety uh, throughout this, throughout really all of 2021 was problematic enough, but then combining it with these very toxic anti-semitic memes, it really takes it to another place. And you have to draw the line somewhere and say, this is just, just grossly inappropriate, um, in addition to being dangerous for the public.
0: How difficult, Dr. Cohen, has it been for you? to navigate your your own information i'm sure patients ask you questions i'm sure now more than ever that we've opened a a vaccine portal for for five to eleven year olds there are so many parents that have you know critical questions we're just getting all this information in from south africa now about the idea of two vaccine shots plus acquired immunity which we just haven't acknowledged a ton of being the best protection possible so i'm sure there's people that said that will say I have I had covid last April. I recovered. Should I not get a booster then? It's really difficult. There's this is changing so frequently and especially since Omicron's discovery.
5: Right, absolutely. Information is changing continuously, you know, and we have to keep our minds open and be willing to change our assumptions based on new information. So particularly when you see disinformation that is uh, focused on a certain theme, so focused on persistently saying vaccines are unsafe or persistently portraying vaccines as experimental or, uh, or saying things like they're gene too, things that are just scientifically implausible, um, you know, and, and twisting whatever new information comes out to focus on that message, that's a clue that that is not, that's really a message that's trying to send a certain type of propaganda rather than an actual science-based message. So people who are willing to, to adapt to new evidence, to change recommendations, you know, to, to kind of evolve the science, this is how science works. We evolve our understanding of things based on new information, and that leads to new recommendations. But, you know, pumping out the same message over and over and over again, regardless of the evidence, is, is a form of propaganda. And that can be really hard to to kind of interpret, you know, for for the general public who may not be following the science to the same degree. That can be really hard to, to make a difference between those two things.
0: It sure, it sure is, uh, because I, I think we get something in our head and we're all uh, you know, breathing hard through this, we're all trying to count to 10. It feels like we've been on, uh, you know, just 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 a, a hellish roller coaster ride of up and down emotions. Things look good. No, they don't. Things look good. And and then you get information and you really have to have to, you know, piece it apart and find perspective on it. And, and again, you're you're a lot more educated in the medical field than the vast majority of the public. So we're all struggling with it
5: yeah absolutely it's a challenge for all of us definitely, because no one can be completely aware of all of the science and have perfect knowledge at all times. so you have to be up to date in your own field and then you have to be able to lean on the expertise and understanding of the people who are experts in their own fields, and we all collaborate together but uh, but yeah it, it, it's a it's a complicated process.
0: Dr. Michelle Cohen, our guest on Toronto today with Greg Brady on global News Radio six forty Toronto. A couple more quick ones for you. Are you having conversations? Uh, with vaccine hesitant people um, still and are do you have the same bandwidth for it I suppose I'd asked then six months ago we were dealing clearly and, and you'd know this too with issues of access with issues of essential work with issues of who should go first back in the spring uh, access does not seem to be an issue anymore um, so it seems more about either a hesitancy or an outright resistance what are those talks like for you?
5: yeah so so lately i 've been having a lot of conversations about the the pediatric vaccine, so you know people are are ask, patients are asking me what I think about it what i 'm doing and i 'm very open i 've vaccinated my children mm-hmm. um, you know my twelve year old I vaccinated at the soonest opportunity my five year old and nine year old I just vaccinated at the soonest opportunity once it was you know and so i 'm very Open about that, and, and the advantage of being a family physician and knowing my patients for many many years is there's that trusted relationship that builds, and I think that is one of the best ways, and the evidence shows that as well, is one of the best ways to combat vaccine hesitancy is say, you know, I understand, I hear you, my, you know, I care about my children too, I have the same worries and same desires for their safety as you do, you know, and I've looked at the evidence, and this is the decision that I've made. And, and that's been true of really all the healthcare providers in my, my practice have done the same. We've all vaccinated our kids at the earliest opportunity so to be able to say that I think is pretty powerful when you have that trusted relationship with your patient.
0: I look at some of the regional data and over the last few weeks and, and we've had doctors on that have pointed this out um, that there, you know, a lot of the um, major urban centers, the Toronto's, the Ottawa's, the Hamilton's have been do it peel especially with their vaccination rate which was on fire for most of the spring have been doing okay. They've limited hospitalizations. They have high vaccination rates and the lens of focus has shifted to rural areas what could you tell our listeners about is that has that been an unfair bias that we just think everybody in big cities is vaccinated but we've got to get these my parents live outside of london we got to get these country folks vaccinated (laughs) Is, is part of it accurate because you just run into less people you you and they don't need the vaccine mandates maybe quite as often as the rest of us have needed them
5: yeah, I wonder if maybe there's been a little bit of a, a kind of, um, just because the rural areas have been a little bit more protected from from some of the, the kind of on-fire situation that the urban areas have had. So I think there's been a little bit of a sense of, of kind of false security there that, well, we're in a small area and we're, we're not. You know, we're not riding the TTC every day, and so this isn't going to be an issue for us in the same way. So I think that might be potentially part of the problem, but then also just access. In Canada, because of our geography, because we're so sparsely spread outside of our urban areas, it's just access is just a challenge no matter what. So that's always going to be an issue in rural areas. You're just always going to have more trouble getting getting things out to, to some people in some areas, definitely.
0: Dr. Michelle Cohen, our guest, thank you for your advocacy. You're a great guest putting it in great perspective for all of us. Uh, I hope we get to chat again, and, and thanks for continuing uh to push hard and and help us all get through this i appreciate you coming on the show
5: thanks very much for having me
0: you bet speaking of intrepid brilliant reporters, sean o'shea our own uh from global news uh joins me now it's great to have you on um thank you very much for making the time
2: Thanks very much, Greg. And you've got a great show going. Listen to it all the time. Thank Thanks.
0: you so much, pal. Um, listen, you uh, the one thing we thought would disappear and maybe you know we should never make wagers about what's over for COVID, but the idea of a quarantine hotel we thought was well in the distance. You've been investigating some of the conditions, some of the circumstances of people at Toronto's quarantine hotel, one of the Hilton hotels near Pearson Airport. And its it's quite a story, isn't it?
2: It is, Greg. Um, most people figure these, you know, quarantine hotels were a thing of the past, but, but they're not. And you can thank Omicron for that. The reality is that people who were, you know, in South Africa and, and certain places in Africa now have to go through these uh, quarantine hotels until their negative tests come back. What we found is that uh, if you have a special condition, uh, especially uh, celiac disease in the case of the people we profiled uh, this week, uh, and you need that gluten-free food to be able to function properly, well, you're just not getting it. And this woman who came back with her husband who's a medical doctor in Edmonton. They came back uh, through Ethiopia to Toronto last weekend. She didn't eat food, proper food, for 40 hours, four zero hours, because the quarantine hotel, which is orchestrated by the federal government, Public Health Agency of Canada, could not provide her with gluten-free food, which is shameful and it's troubling. And those people are still, Greg, Mm -hmm. as of this morning in that hotel, getting some food, getting some food that is appropriate, some that is not. But this is just one example of... How after months and months of this, uh, they just just have not got it right.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. Does this land? Do the does the couple feel Sean? This lands at the feet of the federal government, or does this land? It it well, can the federal government point their fingers to any process in the in the hotel itself and say, "Well, we clearly you know uh, you know delineated that for people with special needs, for people with special dietary needs, that the hotel need be take care of them and, and did not. Where does the ball drop here?
2: Well, Marco Mendicino, the the federal minister of public safety, uh, t- told reporters on Monday that uh, they would provide food, that there should be proper food provided for everybody. Um, but that's clearly not happening. Who's responsible? Ultimately, the federal government is responsible. They sign the contracts. They make sure that people are supposed to be in place to take care of this. I'll give you a background here. I have an adult daughter who has celiac disease. You got diagnosed 24 years ago. So I know that mm-hmm. if you eat food containing gluten, you're going to be sick to your stomach vomiting, diarrhea. It's not good. Your only medication is having gluten-free food. And so it's not a big deal anymore, Greg. People can do this. Restaurants do it all the time. It was tough 20 years ago. But these days, this is something that is taken for granted. The fact that they can't get it right in a hotel where people have no choice. And the other thing your listeners need to know is you can't just pick up the phone and call order in. You can't get your family, if you have family, these people have family in Toronto, they can't send a care package over to the hotel with the food. That's not allowed in the quarantine hotel. You take what you're given, you eat it, or you leave it. But you cannot... Even if you're prepared to pay for your own food, get it, which is another bizarre factor considering that you and I and everybody in the city of Toronto and GTA can order food if we want to pay for it. You can't do that in the quarantine hotel.
0: The excellent Sean O'Shea joining us uh, on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto on Toronto Today. This feels like we're operating, Sean, with um, April 2020 rules in December of 2021. This family must feel that way.
2: Yeah, it's Groundhog Day, Greg. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I can't understand how you don't learn from... You know, in broadcasting, you learn from your mistakes, right? You re- you realize what you did wrong. You try to fix it. But when it comes to certain aspects of this pandemic, like fixing the food situation or making sure that you learn from your mistakes, like being able to allow people to order their own food in certain circumstances. I'm not saying that everybody in a hotel should be able to order a pizza because they don't like the food that's being provided for them. I'm not saying that. But the Canadian Celiac Association, which we interviewed the other day, said, you know, as as they point out, you know, your food is your medicine. And if people can't eat food that is safe for them, imagine what that's like. I don't have that condition. My daughter does. I understand Mm -hmm. this really clearly because we went through this for, for 20 plus years. And those people were stuck in that hotel that don't have a choice. The food gets sent up um, and you either eat it or you don't eat it. And if you don't eat it, that's not good either. So something's got to give. But you know, when we did the story on Monday, remarkably, uh, gluten-free food showed up uh, uh, about 20 minutes after uh, we were about to air the story. Um, and uh, that was great. And then the following day, the food that showed up was not gluten-free. So it, it's bizarre to me. It's bizarre to most people. You don't want to be stuck in one of these places. And it's not just the gluten-free food issue. The conditions there are not great. You're stuck in your room. The food is not terrific. And the other thing is these people in the hotel got their clearance 48 hours ago, meaning their, their negative tests came through. But the Canadian Red Cross, pardon me, the Public Health Agency of Canada still has not cleared them to leave, so they can't leave until they get that clearance to be able to board their flight to get to Edmonton. This system is really broken.
0: I cannot figure that out. and you probably can't for the life of me. You ask for a negative test, we provide a negative test, we should be on our way and, and we should be going. Uh you know, big picture, small picture. That that's just like we have got to give our own citizens, let alone any visitors here the opportunity to, you know, to to when, when we lay out the rules and people follow the rules, those are the rules and you should be able to go.
2: Greg, these are Canadian citizens uh, with Ethiopian backgrounds. He's a hematologist based in Edmonton. He's an oncologist. He's got patients waiting for him. Uh, Everybody's time is valuable, Greg. But these people have done what they're supposed to do. He's had three vaccination shots. She's had two. They've got negative PCR tests. They're ready to go. They're stuck in the hotel. The food issue persists what what gives yeah you know the the system has to get fixed Greg
0: Sean O'Shea is joining us and and your work is gonna you know uh, you're shining a light and as you do so often with your stories to to get that done I'd ask you if the if the whole hotel is it full of Canadian travelers is it a hybrid can people check in because they have an early flight the next morning or is this a a strict quarantine hotel
2: no, Greg, it's a strict quarantine hotel. There's security at the front. You don't go in. You don't go out. You're stuck there. And there are other Canadians. I an interviewing another man who lives in North York. Uh, he... Had to fly to egypt as a result of a family emergency he had to come back through the states to get a third country pcr test mm. he's there he's also there for more than 48 hours after the negative test so it's not just this couple this mm. is a persistent problem that affects so many people that are stuck there and to people who say hey you shouldn't be traveling anymore well the federal government says you can travel and there are reasons why people want to travel and you know we're, we're trying to get back to normal right and, and so people are, are following the rules and should be able to deal with these rules reasonably and mm. be able to get out of the hotel and get on their way when their tests come through. That's just not happening.
0: Last thing for you, Sean, you must, you, you know, you, you've covered the concept and, and the breakthroughs of, of barriers being knocked down for travel. Uh, we opened the, obviously, the Americans opened the border to us a couple months after we opened it to them, but we still needed that, uh, that pesky PCR test, not based in science, because you and I could go get a test. Thursday of this week we could go party like rock stars cuz you and I at our ages do a lot of that and we could <laughs> and we could go to buffalo and we could go to buffalo and we go to a bills game we go to a club we go to a we do all that stuff and we can show them Thursday's PCR test on the way back and go we're cool And that was okay. Now, I'm hearing from listeners all the time. You're probably hearing from viewers saying, Sean, explain to me, and we can, why it's harder now to fly than it is to drive when it wasn't in the summer and we weren't even allowed to do it whatsoever. None of it makes sense. None of it's science-based and none of it makes sense.
2: The driving, flying thing, Greg, is so inconsistent. You're right. It was impossible to drive across the border, but you could fly. Now it's easier to come back. You've, you've laid it, you've laid it right out. It doesn't make any sense from that point of view. All people can do is follow the rules as best they can and hope that the system gets set properly so that it's not impossible for people to do the right thing. Most of the people I've talked to, the viewers, they do the right thing. They follow the rules. Then they shrug their shoulders and throw their hands up and go, what else am I supposed to do? I'm stuck in this system. And I, I'm a captive to it, as these people in the quarantine hotel, uh, who, who we've spoken to, are captive, hoping to get out. We're going to try to follow up. We hope mm. these people get out of the hotel today, and we'll follow that story up and let people know, uh, you know, mm. what the end result is. And if you're traveling, boy, just bank on having a problem because. Oh that's likely to happen. I've got some trips planned next. My wife and I have got some trips planned next year. You never know whether you'll be able to do it. We've canceled things. We want to travel. People call me and email me go, I want to travel. I want to be following all the rules, but you're, you're, you're not able to guarantee anything right now, <laughs> not as the things keep changing.
0: And what you and I have to do, and, and uh, we need to maybe uh, wrestle down, you know, like we, we love our brethren, we love all our media brothers and sisters and other companies, <laughs> but what it can't become Sean is, well, people are afraid to travel because of Omicron. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's the, the red tape, which has never yes. been bigger. It's never been more significant or more confusing, the red tape. That's So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and people look and say, oh, the travel industry is getting crushed because of omicron well yes and no yes and no
2: yeah. yeah yeah it is the red tape i had a camera person i was working with the other day who said you know i really want to go i really want to go we've got this trip planned but am i going to be stuck in quarantine afterward for three days i don't want to take days off we're back to that which was the issue in march of 2020 when people weren't traveling right you know the whole idea of not traveling for for health reasons yes and then because people didn't want to get stranded and stuck so I don't know what we've done in 20 months but it's in many ways back to the way it was in March of 2020.
0: A lot of weighty contradictions here. Thanks for amplifying uh, your story and you're doing important work and this family is going to remember uh, that you 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 know you shone the light on their story. Thanks for making the time for our show today.
2: Thanks Greg, have a great show.
0: All right, our next guest, a phenomenal investigative reporter. He had a fascinating book coming out. There'd already been sort of a mini doc about um, the downward spiral of former NHLer Joe Murphy. That's a number one overall pick. Uh, The Red Wings took him. He ended up on the uh, Edmonton Oilers in a. really big trade, uh, the Jimmy Carson trade. As a as a boyhood Red Wings fan, I didn't like that trade, and Joe Murphy goes wins the cup with Edmonton a year and a half after Gretzky departs, but uh, Joe's life has fallen apart in the meantime, and, uh, and people are trying to help him rebuild it, so that book was coming out before another story he was working on got amplified and then some. We have him on now to talk about the latest on that. He is a senior correspondent with TSN Rick Westhead. Rick, it is a pleasure having you on here on Toronto Today. Thank you for making the time for me hi Greg. good morning um this i know you you have done uh, an exceptional exemplary job in not making yourself the story here but take our audience a little bit into your mind space prepping to interview kyle beach after beach agrees to that um it's it was not easy everybody on the planet it felt like watched that interview i'm sure you had so many people reach out to you um it was a moment did you have your own set of nerves talking to uh to kyle to help him tell his story
1: Well, you you know, I I think I knew going in that it was going to be watched by a lot of people, as you point out, and I just wanted to do it justice. I wanted to make sure that Kyle had the opportunity to tell his story uh, in his words and that I wasn't pressuring him to talk more about his abuse than he was willing to talk about. And, uh, you know, I still haven't actually watched the interview after we, Kyle and I kind of have a deal that both of mm-hmm. us are going to watch it for the first time when we get together. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that it was so widely watched. I've had, as you point out, like a lot of people reach out to me, um, including a lot of uh, abuse survivors who really want to share their stories, either just privately in a, in a direct message or are asking, hey, would this be a story down the road? People who've been abused. In sports people who've been abused in the workplace in the military in the church i mean in their family and uh i think what kyle's story really has done is further this conversation and reminding people that even though they feel alone and isolated and like this is you know i must be the only person that this has happened to at least that's how i think it feels to some survivors uh kyle putting his face out there and sharing what he did uh really does help to give a voice to 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 every abuse survivor i think
0: did kyle's story and the reaction to it and all those private messages make you think in the hockey world itself in the hockey landscape and you've done a lot of coverage of it that the that abuse at a lot of different levels was as widespread or even
1: more widespread than you imagined which one which one of the two well, I think it is more widespread. We, there's there's a, a class action lawsuit that's been filed in Toronto against the Canadian Hockey League and its three major junior hockey leagues. It's not a class action yet. It's, it, they're, they're trying to have a judge approve it as a class action. But you know, a number of players have come forward and in, 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 in made claims about hazing and abuse that has happened uh, for, for decades and that uh, some players say has happened in, in recent years and may well be happening now. And it does, I'm curious what you think, Greg, why is it that stories like this aren't picked up more by media across the country, whether it's global, whether it's CBC, whether it's the Toronto star and the globe and mail, even, even if you think back to Kyle beach's story, that was a big story for a couple of days. Who's talking about Kyle beach now. And I, maybe it speaks to the news cycle and how fast things change, but it has surprised me that people who make their living covering hockey, uh, aren't doing more digging into the, the gritty corners like this.
0: I worry about that. I'll answer it because I've I, you know, I, I've done my share of locker rooms and travel and covered numerous Stanley Cup finals, and I was in the OHL doing play-by-play for seven years. I can say I, I never saw abuse. I never heard of abuse, but, but you were just never sure. There was always that knife edge that it wouldn't have surprised you had it come across... Um, in a conversation or all of a sudden someone came to, you know, Eastside Mario's at lunch when you're on the road in Sudbury and said, you won't believe what I heard about another team. It's a weird one, Rick. We were all kind of bracing for it. And I think access is a big factor here. Look, we just saw this on the weekend. Didn't we, uh, with Chris Cuomo's dismissal and a lot of media uh, observers said, you're still working for the people at the end of the day. Everybody's got a boss. They want to please their boss. They like their job. You and I love our jobs. But but at the end of the day, you work for a greater good than just making somebody happy and keeping access to uh, to either, you know, an NHL GM or a politician or whomever. You got to do more.
1: Yeah. And at the same time, I try to uh, to be fair. Uh, you know, not everyone is going to want to be or Has the skill set to do investigative reporting, just like I don't have the skill set to do uh, beat coverage every day. It's not what I'm good at. Mm -hmm. So you know, there there is a place for for all kinds of different roles. Um, But I do think that you know whether it's covering abuse or whether it's covering social issues in the world right now. I mean, you know, we see Lewis Hamilton, the Formula One racer, talk about his discomfort of having to 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 do his sport in Saudi Arabia. A country where homosexuality is still illegal Uh, we've seen more uh, professional soccer players ahead of the world cup in qatar talk about their concerns about human rights issues and migrant labor issues in that country and of course we're hearing more about what's happening in china now with the uh you know with to to the uyghurs and in hong kong and in tibet uh and and what that means leading into the olympics and i think we're going to see more and more athletes i just think this is a fact uh, who are going to be asked whether they think that as, as because of their high profile and celebrity status, yeah, do they have a responsibility to talk about issues like this before they go into a country like China or Qatar or Saudi Arabia to compete and win fame and glory and money?
0: Yeah, the next 12 months are... Beyond going to be fascinating, but they're going to—we're all going to be a little angst And if we care about that intersection of politics and sports, um, it's it's omnipresent over the next twelve months. Um, the la- and I, you know, you mentioned the media kind of pushing the lens in a different direction. This has been docu- the latest that I've seen you report on uh, on this scenario is, and it kind of—I don't know if it went under the radar, but you broke it open. The Blackhawks want Kyle Beach's negligence lawsuit dismissed. They they don't want it in court, and and they seem very you know people might say well that's a legal process that's got to
1: play out it's more than that is it not i think so on one hand you will have the blackhawks and its surrogates say well this is just how lawsuits work kyle's filed this case and you know we 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 have we face these deadlines of having to file responses and motions to dismiss and the argument that the blackhawks are making is that kyle did not file his case in time that the statute of limitations has told and that he had uh, he had to have filed his case within two years of, of his alleged attack. But, but what that misses is that this is not like any other case. You know, in this case, mm. the Chicago Blackhawks have already apologized to Kyle Beach, have already conceded that the findings of the Jenner and Block report are true. And so you don't see that in other cases, you know, where the person who's or the party that's the defendant mm. has already made an apology and said yeah this happened so it is a really curious thing that on one hand the blackhawks have you know looked for repentance and 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 tried to say well you know we've apologized we want to turn the page on this but on the other hand in court anyways they're trying to to you know challenge kyle beach's arguments trying to have the case dismissed and you can only assume that the reason for that is because they want to take any leverage away from kyle for the kind of settlement that he'd be looking for. And and I don't know what that number is, but I would imagine right. it's not a small number.
0: Um, I'm making this late, but I need to ask this question because it's something that a lot of people who used to play in the league have come up to me and said, what do you think about this? And I thought, and I'm like, this is a good question. Kyle, and and, and I don't think you were able to get to it over the course of your interview, which I did watch a couple times yeah. and got all the way through it. It's not an easy watch as you document, uh, but it's an important watch. Why yeah. did Kyle... This abuse happens allegedly in 2011. Why does Kyle stay three more years plus with the organization? He was, he's an, uh, I, you know, I saw him play uh, a little bit of junior hockey uh, west. He was a damn good player to get 11th pick overall in a deep, deep draft. Why stay in Rockford? He wasn't getting called up to the team. You would think, you would think he'd want out of that organization as soon as possible.
1: I'm sure there's a good reason. Has Kyle given you one? We haven't talked about that, to be frank. Um, about what happened after, about the you know the years after. Clearly, he would have wanted out. He would wanted. He would wanted a chance. He, I'm sure he would have been looking around and, and wondering why not me. Mm-hmm. You know how many other Greg? You know this. You're more of a hockey guy than I am. How unusual is it that a player drafted 11th overall would never play a single game in the NHL? I bet it hasn't happened to anyone except for Kyle Beach. A couple play. He's and, the only. And,
0: he's the only one out of the top 17 in that draft. That's the Stamkos draft that never played
1: an NHL game, which is curious, there, and, isn't and, it? And, and and so that raises other questions about why. Yeah, you know why? Yeah. What ha, What were the Blackhawks? Executives saying about Kyle, why was he buried for years after? And even though we do have the Jenner and Block report, which everyone following this case knows about, it's also important to remember that all of the people who were interviewed for that report, none of it was under oath. You know, Brad Aldrich, his employment file went missing. We still have no idea if the Blackhawks yeah. are in pursuit of trying to find out what happened to that. So, you know, if this case does go forward, if the motion to dismiss that the Blackhawks have filed fails. You know, I think this is still going to be uh, a a very high profile case because Mm -hmm. we're going to get to the discovery portion where the Blackhawks and maybe even the NHL are forced to turn over other records about alleged sexual abuse and, and other forms of abuse within their organization in Chicago. And, you know, even what the NHL has known about what's happening amongst its teams and the kind of policies that it's either forced the teams to put in place or hasn't forced them to put in place.
0: I want to point people in the direction of finding Murph, how Joe Murphy went from winning a championship to living homeless in the bush. And I know we're right at a time, maybe in the new year, you'll be able to come back and we can talk deep about this book. Cause I care so much about uh, this story and so many hockey people uh, do. And people in general just were so touched by your work on this and wanting Joe to have um, some form of happy ending here. I, I hope you can make time uh, in the new year to do that for me, Rick. Thanks so much for
1: coming on today. I'd love to Greg. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks very much for listening to the show. We really do appreciate it. You can find us, obviously, on the radio in the morning on Global News Radio 640 Toronto with a live show, 5.30 to 9 o'clock, with everything you need to know and a little entertainment as well to get your day going. Thank you again for finding us here and for listening.